It's bad ink jam, but not as we know it. This is bad. Welcome to the Bookie Bashing Weekly Bashcast, brought to you by BookieBashing.net. This is big, looking at next week's opportunities and last week's profits. If I can get the number right this week, this is Bashcast episode number 132. This horse flu could be a mare. It's 10 minutes to 9 on Thursday the 7th of February 2019. Coming up in tonight's Bashcast, I explain why I've kept that dead or alive jingle for the second week running or maybe i don't I, uh, tom goes down for a weekend in bath gets in a fight talk about that in the bash cast we look back at the horse racing and forward to what is going on in the horse racing world uh, the six nations tournament starts as the nfl season finishes after the break we look at the worst five bets of all time r.i.p to a couple of people in the bookie bashing world. Ladbrook's staff are issued with a warning and a blast from the past we look back at a 2007 fiasco involving people laying the bet fair anytime goal scorer market. All that and more coming up tonight in the Bashcast. Um, I only put the jingle in last week for one week only because I thought it was fun. I thought if you recognised what it was, then a little in-joke there. Um, left it in for a second week this week. Uh, it was just, as I was, I had some Dead or Alive on earlier as I was doing the background to the Bashcast and I meant to start recording about five hours ago. But I hit £17,500 on that Dead or Alive spin, which was nice. And that kind of changed the frame of the day, as it always does. The day's never the same after you drop in grand. I, I find. <laughs> I actually ended up, for whatever reason, like turning off the computer and putting my phone down and just going for a walk down the canal. I fancied it. I didn't even put my shoes on. I went for, I just took my cup of coffee and just went for a walk because it was a nice day. And so sometimes I feel like it's important or no, not important. Sometimes I feel like I'm overwhelmed by technology and screens and the ability to always be um, contactable and things like that and so I like to have some time with phone on airplane mode or off but when I won that money I was just like let's just go and I think it's important to put things into context and to do that I'm going to walk down the canal in my bare feet drinking a cup of coffee saying hello to the uh, barges that are going past on this 
It was a very sunny February afternoon as well. I think it was one of those, why I go and enjoy it outside. So, yeah, weird afternoon. Not all my profits. This is it's, uh, as part of a casino team. Uh, um, I have to share these out. But in all honesty, I mean, what, what, it all evens out over time, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Um, especially when you're playing, like, high stakes, dead or alive. You can go so long without hitting anything. Or you can be my my friend, Jay. And you can hit um, two twenty thousand pound spins in the sa- in the space of a very short period of time. Either or, <laughs> although that was a f- I've never heard of anything happen like that before in the entire world. So, I'll post a screenshot as soon as it's in my bank account. It's always wise, I think, just to keep the screenshots away from the online world until the money is safely squirreled away. So yeah, DOA stays for another week on the subject of DOA. Why are my notes not the front page here? Uh, this was posted uh, January the 28th. Dead or Alive 2 slot preview. Well, I thought Dead or Alive, the one that we're playing, the high variance one, the highest variance one, was 2. But whatever, it looks like there's a sequel anyway. Um, it says here, I don't know who's written this. I don't know if this is blurb from NetEnt or whatever, but polish your six-shooter and don your best western hat as NetEnt just announced the sequel to their most legendary slot. The original Dead or Alive was released in 2009 and has since achieved cult status in the casino community. The World Wide Web is literally plastered with screenshots and stories of wins exceeding 2000x. Hey, I exceeded 2000x this afternoon. 5000x... Uh, or even 10,000x. How do you get 10,000x? I guess that's like, that's five scatters, plus you would need two lines of all of the wilds for 10,000x, with five spins to go. Due for release on the 24th of April 2019, so we've got about two months, two and a half months, the Dead or Alive 2 slot was developed in collaboration with well-known casino streamers in the player community as known as affiliates, if you've ever seen these guys. They're just cheap affiliates. Slated to keep the original key feature, which is the sticky wilds and the free spins, NetEnt announced that it will have new and exciting upgrades and twists. Um, Comparing it to the original, the return to player should be as usual in the region of 96.5%, featuring a maximum win potential in excess of 10,000 times stake. See, that's why it's fun, Dead or Alive, because, because you've got to be an absolute fiend to enjoy grinding out long sessions waiting for that 10,000 stake. And you may have seen screenshots around, but... God damn, do you have to put in some gameplay to be able to achieve something like that, I'll tell you. But um, it's, it doesn't mean that Dead or Alive 2 is going to be great, because they had Jurassic Park, which is a perfectly acceptable online high-variance slot, and then they released 2, and everything that was good about 1, they dumbed down and ruined. Like, um, it's not as high-variance. I think the, the number one thing people like is high-variance, although when I say people, perhaps that is just... Um, advantage players and bonus hunters because when you got a high variance in um, a bonus and then you hit a big win as long as there's no winnings cap associated that with that um that, that means you're going to be able to grind through any wagering so we'll see 
So I did go down to Bath this weekend for my mate's 40th birthday, which was uh, good fun. Um, we went to watch the rugby in the afternoon for in the pub for England versus Ireland, which is what comes to the rugby a little bit later on, in fact, in the Bashcast. I don't want to cover it now. But obviously there's a few beers for that. I'm not the world's greatest drinker, but there was a few beers during the match there. And then we go for dinner and we sit down in the upstairs of this pub and like we sat down and it was about two hours before the starter was served. So that's just beer and wine and beer and wine for those two hours, isn't it? And then there's wine throughout the meal. Uh, so now we've been eating for an hour. We've had two hours wait and then we've also been at the rugby beforehand. So as not the biggest drinker in the entire world, I always think that I'm fine, but... Looking back on it, I know I wasn't. What gave it away that I wasn't? One, I mean, this guy was this the guy that was forty. James, he's one of my best mates. He was the best man at my wedding. Um, at my wedding, him and three other mates did a ridiculous rendition of "Flying Without Wings." Like pulled out the microphone at the end of his um, best man speech, and just said, "Everybody's looking for that something." And then the guitar broke out and. Everyone in the wedding was like, wood, 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 wood. And then another guy came from behind in the hall of the the lads pretending to be Westlife were at the front. It was, um, it was good fun and it was well rehearsed. <laughs> and so um, there was a rendition of that at the meal. And then someone said, do I want to make a speech? But I'm awful. It's like, if you give me an hour's worth of preparation and I haven't been drinking, I'll do a great speech. I promise to God, it'll be nice. You see... It's never difficult to do one off the cuff, it, especially if, even if you haven't if you haven't been drinking. It's easier. What you do is, I learned this when I was at when I was um, working for a large company, and I had to make presentations off the cuff. He said, "Well, you don't. Nobody likes standing in front of people and talking off the cuff." And someone told me a trick: pretend to be in your head, pretend to be someone that you think is a good narrator or orator. So I think. Barack Obama is a very good narrator or orator. He sort of, he carries himself very well. So you don't have to be funny. In fact, if you're not naturally funny, which I don't think I am when I'm, when the spotlight is on me, you know, like if you say to me, tell me a joke, I freeze. And I can't remember any joke in the entire world. I don't think I'm a naturally funny person. Um, I'd make an awful stand-up comic, that's for sure. Um, but if you don't have to be funny, if I think of Barack Obama, he's not funny. He's sincere and says things with confidence. I'm like, if someone asked me to do a speech and I haven't been drinking, all I have to do is think about being Barack Obama, be sincere and say things with confidence. It'll be fine. But it was dropped on me and I couldn't think of anything to say. And I think I just said happy 40th and that was it. The same thing happened in my, I think I said in the Bashcast this time last year, <laughs> at my 40th, I was like asked to make a speech as well. And it was just as awful because uh, I was just handed the microphone. So Jen stood up and she actually did the speech for my mate. And well done for you, Jen, because everyone said it was very sincere. It was very good. So we've been drinking, but that, looking back now, I can see that I was maybe a little bit tipsy, which is why I was unable to do that. But then we went to a club after dinner and, um, the bouncer first of all allowed me in and allowed me to pay 
but then turned to my mate and said that um, I wasn't. I was to be on water for the rest of the night. Now, when you if you're told that when you've been drinking, how dare you, sir? How dare you tell me that I am drunk and I need to be on water? Looking back on it now, he was probably almost certainly right. I was probably falling into people, um, even though I'd been drinking the same amount as others. I just handle it a lot worse. I was looking very tipsy. But um, good on the club for actually um, allowing me in and paying the entrance fee first before saying this because they certainly got their money out of me that way. So jokes on them. I did actually just turn on to the water and that meant that the hangover was uh, limited on the Sunday morning. But one thing that I did do is I lost people when I lost when I left the club. I was getting back to the Airbnb where Jen was already tucked up in bed. And there was these steps that go up to the roads that's, you know, sort of, above you this road that I need to get on to get back to the Airbnb and there's a young teenage 15 16 year old kid sitting on the steps and he is in some sort of state and he's being consoled by his friends so I don't need to worry about him I just need to get past him so I sort of hop past him because him and his friends are taking up the entire width of the steps and he turns and he says what did you fucking say as I sort of squeeze past him and I'm on my own and I just turned around, thumb up. I didn't say anything, mate. Don't worry about it. Have a good night. And he screamed, you're going to fucking get it now. I was like, oh, for God. Young people and alcohol is never a good mix. So I look at his friends as kind of like, can you just... I don't say anything, but I look at them and say, you guys are going to have to help me here because I'm, I'm, I want nothing to do with this. His friends just leave. They're like embarrassed by the, the drunk kid who incidentally isn't the biggest human being in the entire world so there was no physical threat from him where'd that music come from that was i didn't mean that jingle to come in but whatever it was there from last week so yeah uh there was no physical threat from him this was just more a pain in the arse other than anything else so it's like well what do i do do i really turn around and run away up the steps from this unthreatening, physically small, drunk 15-year-old who is trying to start on anybody? Or do I go towards him? And I said, well, given that option A isn't really an option, I'm not going to turn around and run away. I started walking towards him, and he started walking towards me. And so I shouted very loudly, you seriously don't want to do this, mate. And he turned around and he legged it. And that was the that was that that was the whole of my fight in Bath. And there you go, forty years old. This is why I don't go out. Well, it's not why I don't go out, but it's like I, I very rarely go out. I'm a forty-year-old man who's got two children at home, so um, and I live in the countryside. And the, the one time that I go out, I got into a scrap. I say scrap. That is a bit of pathetic for a scrap story, isn't it? And then I got a knife and I shanked him across the face. Ha! You won't get up from that. Uh, what happened in the bookie bashing? Well, as said previously, it was the rugby. Well, it was the rugby and the horse racing took centre stage on Saturday afternoon. The the horse race, um, they went to Ireland this Saturday. It was um, the 2pm at Leopardstown, which had how many... 19 runners, they played seven places, which is about the bare minimum that you would want. I mean, that's right on the threshold. You wouldn't want 20 or 21 runners in seven places. Well, you would, I mean, perhaps it would, a couple would be value, but it would be 
getting hard work with the odds that William Hill do. I mean, Irish racing is traditionally higher over rounds anyway. So prices are worse. SP prices are worse. Early prices are worse. And this race was definitely harder than usual. I mean, I certainly know some people Dutch did at SP. There was an inherent risk in that. You did not want any of the outsiders um, winning this race. When I scraped it early morning, I scraped it from the Airbnb in Bath. And all the top of the field, like the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven horses you could get on. They were value from the place. One horse, off you go, was both value from the place and value from the win. The bottom of the field, none of them were good. So it was all top heavy. It was like the the top of the field were value in this seven places each way, and the bottom of the field were not value. So if you had somebody like To Be Lucky, Jeski, Drew Reward, winning at 20, 30, 40 to 1, you're going to get your ass handed to you. So even if you dutch the field, you're going to get your ass handed to you because they just weren't value, you know? I don't even think they were value at SP. So the, the race was EV, but it was just EV. The horses that were decent early were the shorter-priced horses. I'm not going to say short price because the fave was 92. When I scraped in the morning, the only horse that seemed to be obvious value, both in the value rating from the place and the value rating from the win, was Off You Go, at 7-1 to one morning price, 8-1 to one SP. The winner of the race was off you go uh, at 8 to 1 SP. So there you go. Got a little bit lucky there that the horse that happened, we identified as being the most amount of value, ended up winning. So if there was money to be made there if you were betting, if you were just like mug betting a couple of horses on this race, which is probably the strategy to go. I know people SP dutched it. There was risk in SP Dutch in this race. I know people um, fixed odds dutched it. There was risk in fixed odds Dutch in this race. Um, I didn't get anything on it. I didn't get a single pound on it. But had I done, I probably, I probably would have just placed a couple of value mugs there. So um, I know a couple of people. Like it's really easy to do in terms of time. I, I don't actually know why I didn't do it after I posted the scrape, just because I was in the kitchen talking to people in this Airbnb flat. I think, but. Had I been paying attention, just an easy thing to do would have been, right, okay, off you go is the easiest and best value horse to get on. So 7-1, to one, I'm going to get whatever I bet at at 7-1 to one on him and then close laptop and get on with my day. How long does that take? 15 seconds. Tune in at 10 past 2 and see what the result of the race was. Now, that was mainly because I was away on Saturday, so I couldn't have it as the focal point of my day and I was away on Friday night as well so I couldn't do it on Friday night I mean sometimes you can get on these things early on Friday night and um, you don't even have to do anything on Saturday and I'd actually cleared my calendar tomorrow so that I could focus on whatever race was going to be thrown up by William Hill tomorrow it's always like 7pm on a Friday night that we find out which races it's going to be and then what do we find out today we find out that British horse racing has been cancelled until at least the 13th of February because of equine flu. Oh, 
now this doesn't sound good. This doesn't sound good for the industry as a whole. And anything that is not good for the industry is inherently not good for us either. Um, having no racing in no way is good for the larger picture, the greater scheme of things. Um, or if you take the post of one person that I saw today, this is terrible, terrible news because he has free bets that he wanted to place today and there are no races to to place them on. Well, God forbid you can't place your £10 free bet when this <laughs> there's a serious economic risk to the whole horse racing industry and the long-term viability of horse racing in this country as a whole. Anyway, what has happened? Horse racing will not resume in Britain until Wednesday the 13th of February at the earliest after an outbreak of equine flu the British Horse Racing Authority has announced. All fixtures today on Thursday were called off by the BHA after three vaccinated horses tested positive for the disease. Trainer Donald McCain has confirmed the horses came from his Cheshire stables. How do you feel if you're Donald McCain? Horses from the infected yard raced on Wednesday, potentially exposing a large number of horses. This precautionary approach is intended to ensure we put the health of the horse population in control of the virus first and avoid any unnecessary risk that might come with returning to racing too quickly, said a BHA statement. We appreciate the impact that this might have on the sport commercially, but disease control in order to mitigate the risk of further disruption to the sport and safeguard the health and welfare of our horses must be a priority. Sort of complicated decision that has to be to actually cancel horse racing up and down the country. I mean, this will cost millions. It'll have a really wide-ranging effect, and it doesn't just affect horse racing. It affects bookmakers. It affects Racing Post. It affects people that are employed in secondary and tertiary industries around horse racing from the man that sells bacon rolls just outside the i mean outside the course this has an effect on everybody it also you know the guy can't place his 10 pound free bets on the horse racing today the meetings at chelmsford doncaster Fosslass, and huntington on thursday were cancelled racing had been due to take place on bangor kempton park newcastle and southwell on friday on saturday Linkfield, Newbury, Utoxter, Warwick and Wolverhampton were on the schedule with Exeter, Musselburgh and Southwell hosting events on Sunday and all of those meetings have been cancelled. This announcement also means that Monday's races at Catterick, Hereford and Wolverhampton will not go ahead nor will the fixtures on Tuesday at Air, Linkfield and Newcastle. The statement added, the BHA's veterinary team has today been in contact with more than 50 trainers and veterinarians to allow it to make an informed assessment of the risk of equine influenza spreading. Whilst no further positive tests have been received, at least three more days are required before it will be possible to make a decision about whether it is safe to resume racing. So they say that it's cancelled until Wednesday. It could be further than Wednesday. And there is a rather large festival looming on the horizon in about six weeks' time. They continue, the disease can take up to three days before symptoms are visible, meaning it will take until Sunday at the earliest before the BHA can gather all the information required. This approach will allow samples to be collected and assessed by the Animal Health Trust in order that a fully informed decision can be made on Monday. 
Then this may then allow declarations to take place on Tuesday in time for racing on Wednesday. So Monday, a decision will be made about it. In a statement issued through the National Trainers Federation, McCain said, I have been aware of the recent news about equine influenza outbreaks in France and Ireland, and over the last couple of days, I have been concerned about the health status of a small number of horses in the yard. Their welfare is at the front of our minds, so at my request, our veterinary surgeon had examined them has examined them regularly, and we have followed his advice on testing and treatment. It was by following this protocol that positive results for equine flu came to light yesterday he continues more blah 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 blah. cornelius lysett bbc horse racing correspondent says it couldn't have happened at a worse time this is a dramatic turn of events the sport had been hoping that tests carried out would be sufficiently reassuring for racing to to resume quickly the good news is that no cases have been no new cases have been discovered, but the science says that the virus can take up to three days to be identified, so that takes us to Sunday. If an all clear is given, it will then take a couple of days to get the admin to get things back together. Health and welfare is paramount, of course, but so near to the Cheltenham Festival. This couldn't have happened at a worse time, and it will be hoped that Saturday at Newbury can be rearranged. What year was it when Cheltenham was cancelled? Cheltenham Festival cancelled. What year was that? Of course, if you just Google that now, it's fears that, yeah, it's it's all about this year. It was like 2001, I think. Yeah, here we go. Foot and mouth disease in 2001. There was an outbreak in the horses. And so the British Horse Racing Board ruled that Cheltenham cannot stage the the festival because the Gloucestershire course falls within a foot and mouth infected area. So yeah, there you go. Um, it's sad news. It's sad news for everybody involved. It's sad news for the horses. It's sad news for the trainers. It's sad news for the race courses. It's sad news for the primary industries around um, around horse racing which include both the bookmakers the punters and us advantage players it is sad news for the secondary industries the people serving at the bars and the tertiary industries the people that have to print the programs all that go with the race courses all of these industries are going to suffer because of this Oh, and Dave from Glossop isn't going to have anything to place his £10 free bets on tomorrow, which, of course, is the most important thing. Um, That is... Yeah, my friend Ed said this. He summed it up by saying that he had had to issue profit warnings for his wife over breakfast when this news came in. And it certainly is um, concerning, and I hope that... Next week, racing comes back on Wednesday, as they're predicting it could be. The Six Nations started on the weekend. What a match on Friday. Now, I was out for dinner on Friday night. Did I mention that? I was in Bath. And I had Wales to win this game um, and various other bets that mostly involved Wales. One of the bets I didn't have was um, France to win the game at Bet365. Now, that would have been nice. The Bet365 offers, if any team in the Six Nations goes 10 up, 
and doesn't win the game, then you will get paid out in full, just like the two-up offer, that, because there is no maximum stake. If you can get away with the counter, the kind of damage that large stakes does on these types of bets, then you can make a heck of a lot of money. The most amount of money of any any offer just now. Doesn't happen that often. Between 2012 and 2018, that's seven Six Nations Championships. It's only happened 12 times. So that's a frequency of, you know, one match. Well, 12 matches and 105 because there's 15 matches a season or a tournament. So that's about 11 point, well, it's exactly 11.4% of matches have had um, a team go 10 up and not win. So if you're picking one of those teams, that's about 5%. That's you know, just a little bit less than 20 to 1 to, uh, to trigger. Which is more likely than the Premiership but then or the Football 2-Up. But then you have fewer games to choose between. So there's sort of a yin-yang there. And, you know, if you look at the last three seasons, there was two in 2018, none in 2017, and one in 2016. So they very much are, you know... Few and far between. Well, France was 16-0 up um, against Wales at halftime. And I looked at my phone at halftime when I was in this restaurant, this restaurant called Yak Yeti Yak in Bath, when we were sitting on the floor. I was like, okay, well, Wales aren't going to win this match. I, think, I, I, I didn't know this, but in the history of the Six Nations, a team has been 16 points up at halftime and not won only two times before. So I turned my phone off. Turn my phone off so I can have a chat with my pals without, without the constant disruption of a sporting event that is pretty much meaningless at this point. And I wish I hadn't turned it off. I wish I'd been rude and um, kept it on because France was 16-0 up at half-time and Wales had um, a try from Williams, two tries from North, uh, penalties from Bigger, and they won the game 24-19. 24-3 was the score in the second half. France, um, France just shattered... In the second half, they were exhausted. And so, what a game that would have been. I didn't actually see any of the highlights of it, but um, that would have been the game of the weekend. But then we came, well, Scotland, Italy, 33-20. Campagnaro, uh, so much money came in for Campagnaro to be the top scorer, in the top, sorry, the top try scorer in the tournament. Do not ask me why. I don't know the science and the reasoning behind the smart money coming in for him. I know he was tipped at Emporium, but that's not going to send his price crashing down. But when I saw him, I posted him on the boost tracker. It wasn't a boost, but he was 150 to 1 at about six different bookmakers from Bet365 to Sport Pizza. 150 to 1. You could have him each way. You'd be foolish to go to win uh, for an Italian top try scorer. You have four places on the each way. But he was down at 60, 65 on the exchange. Now, that is so low. But, well, all you, need to, all you need is for him to be under 75 on the exchange. And what you can do is you can back him each way. And you can lay the place and you can lay the win both at the same time on the win market. Because it's under 70, because it's under half the odds. Are you following me? Let's, let's do this again. Let's say you put a tenner on him each way at 150 to 1. That's a £20 bet in total. That's £10 on the win, £10 on the place. But he's only 65 to lay in the exchange. So you can lay both tenors, £20 overall, and you're still going to make some profit if he wins. 
And you're going to make all of the place profit if he comes second, third, or fourth. And what's the place on 150 to 1? At 1 to 4 odds, that is 37.5, 38.5. You don't have to put a lot of money on at 38.5 to make a decent profit, and you're doing it risk-free as well. It's like you can max out that bet. I would never recommend maxing out a bet and pl clicking the max stake button at a bookmaker, especially when six bookmakers are priced up. Spread it out a little bit. Put a fiver here and a fiver there and a fiver here and a fiver there, and all of a sudden you've got 50 quid on him. You haven't risked anything if you can handle tying up money on the top try scorer market throughout the Six Nations. And you've got 50 pounds risk-free at 37.5, 38.5 on, on him coming second, third, or fourth. I mean, that's got to be worth it and anybody's money. Personally, I just mugged it, and um, he didn't get any. He didn't get a try against Scotland. Scotland ran out thirty-three twenty winners there. Then we came to Italy. Uh, sorry, Ireland versus England. Now this was meant to be the match of the Six Nations, and it was in week one. Bizarrely, England, um, Ireland were favourites for the tournament, despite the fact that they are playing away from home three times and they're playing at home two times. And traditionally, you have a handicap when you play more games away from home than you do at home. Um, England, on the other hand, were playing three games away from home, uh, at home and two games away from home. However, Ireland's form, where they beat the All Blacks last year, um, it, they're playing supremely good rugby. England have had a sort of not the best 18 months of their international career. Going into the Rugby World Cup later this year, the heading up the market of to win the Rugby World Cup without New Zealand is Ireland. Ireland were odds-on favourites to win the Six Nations. England were up at 9-2. People were pushing England out and boosting them because they didn't see them winning this game. Sorry, this tournament. Well, it was a resounding victory against Ireland. One of the bets that I saw pushed out was um, Stockdale, who is the... You know, the favourite to score a try for Ireland. Or May, who is the favourite to score a try for England, was on Betfred's offers of the day. I think this is a new coupon he's coming out with. It's both in-store and online. Um, and the offer of the day that morning was one of the two of those to get the first try in the match was... And I do have to look back at what it was because I don't remember off the top of my head. I know it was good because I found it and put it on the tracker. It was... Yes, yeah, seven to back and like 5.2 would have been, well, was the ore price of the, um, on the, on the exchange. So you're getting 115, 120% EV there. Um, and it came in, in the match. So it's a really good way as well, because I think he scored like in the second minute of the match. And you're like, well, whatever I'm betting on now, I've got off to a flyer. You know what I mean? By the way, I'm just going to watch the end of Van Gogh and versus Smith. Because what a what a time to get 180 here. These are the last few darts, and this was going to be a draw. But now Van Gerwen has 81 to keep my large treble alive. Come on, Van Gerwen. He hits the treble 19. He leaves double 12, and he hits it. Sorry, that was quite. That was too entertaining for me to talk through. A lot of the times in the Bashcast, I'm keeping my eye out for, for results in the corner of my eye, and I never say anything. But that was just too. 
that was just too exciting not to. So yeah, that was a really good way to get off um, to a start in this this game. I didn't look at any double delight at Betfred either, but Betfred is double delight on every single game throughout the Six Nations. That's turned the outright market on its head. England, Ireland were the 1.8 favourites. Now England are the 1.7 favourites. Ireland are pushed out to 8.8 to 1, 9.2 on the exchanges. Scotland up at 16.5 and Italy, of course, up at 740 after 33.20. So they're not going to win that. I haven't even tempted to lay them at 740 if I could be bothered to seed this market. Which I quite obviously can't. So there's um there's plenty of money to be around made in the Six Nations just now. A variety of different strategies. I mean, middling is one of them, where you try and make a uh, take advantage of the alternative interpretations of the handicap markets at different bookmakers. So, for example, one might have England at minus three point five, and another might have Ireland at plus four point five. And so, if you bet on them both. And um, England win by exactly four points, then you're going to win both bets. You're going to win England minus 3.5 and Ireland plus 4.5. There is taking advantage of any time the halftime draw price is too high, which is a lot of the time. So whilst the halftime draw price is frequently up at 9 to 1, 10 to 1, if you look at... Um, low-scoring games in rugby. Um, the average score in rugby is about 42 to 43 points off the top of my head. But when you have games that are low-scoring, which are predicted to have maybe 35 points or less, and it's cold and they get, they're just kicking, then it can frequently be 3-3 or 6-6 at halftime. Um, there's not that many permutations of scores that there can be when the halftime points total is going to sum up to 10 or 15 points. So um, the draw happens more often than gets priced up on the exchange. We can take advantage of that. And there's the double delight at Betfred if we can ever find odds that are decent enough there. Um, one thing we can't do um, um, on the rugby, which the NFL we talked about last week, certainly had an abundance of money come in for is bet on the coin flip the coin flip betting action and can you believe caesar's palace announced 61 percent of the bets that they had were on heads it's this bias that we talked about last week that because heads came up that many times in a row between those years um in the super bowl that a lot of people think that the coin that is used is manufactured with an error and there is an edge to be had. And it's a real phenomenon where lots of people are actually betting, like way more people are betting on it being heads than being tails. I'm not going to go quite as far as calling it smart money. It was hard work staying up for the Super Bowl on, on Sunday night. And the problem with, it being the lowest scoring game of all time, which it was at the at thirteen three, is that most of the if you're following professional tipsters, then you'll see a lot of them being quite savvy and being quite clever when it comes to betting on unders on player props. I don't think the quarterback is going to rush. I don't think this player is going to receive very many yards and things like that. One of the edges that we did have that came in is that. We figured 
I mean, we didn't figure this out, but a lot of people figured it out and we jumped on the bandwagon that it wasn't 50-50 which team was going to receive the ball at the beginning. If the Rams won the toss, they were going to defer 100% of the time. And if the Patriots won the toss, they were going to defer some of the time and some of the time they were going to receive the ball. So you got this imbalance where the Patriots get the ball every time the Rams win the toss and the Patriots get the ball some of the time when the Patriots win the toss and Belichick has got it up his sleeve. And this sort of imbalance means that the Patriots were something like a 60-65% favourite to receive the ball. Yet you could get even money from them at, at different bookmakers all the way up to kickoff. And there were certain things such as the first try scorer, which ended up being in the fourth quarter, so it had nothing to do with who won the toss. But we didn't know that before the game started. Usually the first drive has a really good chance of having a touchdown in it. Uh, first scoring play and all of this, it was it was 50-50 at a lot of bookmakers or 10-11 to 11 on both sides, where it should have been the Patriots being the big favourites and the Rams being the dogs because of this imbalance of who's going to receive the ball um, at the beginning. So we had this. The tipsters had various player props about unders and things, but the bookmakers will never offer you a boosted price on something not to happen. You never see football bets on it being nil-nil and there being fewer than five corners and there being no cards because it's boring. People want action. People don't bet on there not being action. Uh, advantage players and professional gamblers bet on there not being action. But in terms of concessionary things offered by bookmakers, they never offer concessionary things on no action. So when it does end up being the lowest scoring Super Bowl, when the Patriots beat the Rams 13-3 with only 16 points in the game, one of the results of that is that very few of the things that the bookmakers push out come in. The... um, Brady to pass over 400 yards at Skybet, which was a really good bet at matchbook between 10 and 11. Unfortunately, it didn't get close because the Rams' defense shot up shop. They parked the bus. They did the NFL equivalent of parking the bus. But both teams parked the bus. That was the problem. There were two buses parked in the middle of the stadium in, a, in Atlanta. So things didn't happen, and that means a lot of bets didn't come in as a result of that, which was very frustrating. Um, I fell asleep before. I predicted I was going to fall asleep asleep in the first quarter. I didn't even make it to the first quarter. I fell asleep with the television on during, like, all of the pre-game shenanigans that was going on. Talking about shenanigans, that's enough waffle to take us to the break. Guys, you're listening to the Bashcast. And it's brought to you by BuckyBashing.net. Your heart and so much. I need you to breathe again. You have been hard and so much. I need you to breathe again. Skin.
And welcome back to the Bashcast. That is Breathe by Camel Fat and Christoph, 2019. In the bookie bashing news, the worst five bets of all time. Going to who? Going to me. Number one, Australian Open treble at Ladbrokes. This was this year. Uh, Williams, Djokovic and Osaka to win their matches in straight sets 6-4. to four. Let's not worry about what the implied odds of that were. They boosted it to 6-4. to four. The price was 6-4. to four. Gets worse. Number two, the trifecta at the Masters. It's a couple of years ago at William Hill. Trifectors to predict who comes first, who comes second, and who comes third in that exact order. This was one of the hashtag your odds. William Hill were offering 15 to 2 that Rory McElroy would win, Patrick Reed would finish second, and Rory McElroy would finish third. 15 to 2 on some sort of parallel universe vortex opening up where Rory McElroy could clone himself and finish in both first and third position, but not second. Don't let the fact the bet is impossible stop you from restricting me to £1.33, William Hill. Number three, just because it came out this weekend. Free spins at Wild Spins. You know I'm the biggest fan of free spins. There's nothing that gets me more exciting or more excited than when I see an email with free spins in the headline. Well, these free spins at Wild Spins, 50 of them, minimum deposit £10, with code YEAR. They only have an 80 times wagering requirement and a £7 winning cap. That's right, the winning cap is less than the minimum deposit. Why are why are they so cheap? Why, when they offer free spins, which are like 10p spins anyway, can they not just allow you to keep the measly £3.23 you're going to win off them? Why do they have to apply an 80 times wagering on top of whatever you win? It is so cheap. Number four, we're back at Ladbrokes again. This time they boosted PSG to win and four plus goals in the match. To 11 to 5. The price was 9 to 4, but they've boosted it to 11 to 5. It was 3.25, it's now 3.2. You can now get less money than uh, you were able to before. And number 5. I can't take credit for this. This was a tweet from Adam F. Adam F. This was a bet at William Hill who went 16 to 1 for each double to be hit at least once in the PDC World Championship. That's every double from 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. I mean, some of these doubles are never, ever hit, ever. And Adam F, Adam F crunched the numbers and he worked out a fair price of 4,787,979 to 1. So 16 to 1 looked a tad short. Now, there's a reason why I am talking about this. And it's because I got, really got frustrated, really got frustrated in the middle of the week when we were looking at these um, 5pm to 6pm William Hill shop boosts. On Monday and Tuesday, they were fantastic value. I don't know why. They were sleeping or whatever, but they were good. None of them came in, but don't let the fact, don't be results orientated and be worried about that. I, I really only care the fa- about the fact that the opportunity is out there, that the EV is out there. I would much rather, much rather that there was a load of EV out there in bets that lost 
then there was no EV out there on bets that won because the former means that it's sustainable and I'm going to make money on the over the long run even if I have 300 losing bets in the next two months I'm in the negative I know that in the long run I'm going to make money whereas in the latter I could make money in the short run on these negative EV bets but it's not sustainable it's not going to be long term I'm not going to be paying my mortgage so um, they were good on Monday and Tuesday, but they all lost. But that's fine. Then on Wednesday, they were uh, rubbish again. What was grinding my gears on Wednesday, though, is that they put up these great sport offers, and they put up about 25 of them. And I know what they are, and I have a photograph of each and every one of them every single day. And I don't work out them all, but I do work out a lot. Then when it comes to the boosts, they say it was this price. It's now this price, so you might be 100% boost. They'll boost it from 2 to 1 to 4 to 1. The problem I have is that the WAS price was completely made up throughout it until they really took the piss. This was a 75% boost on top of over 20 goals in tonight's Scottish Premiership matches. And in, earlier in the day, it was 5 to 1. In fact, throughout the day, it was 5 to 1. It was 5 to 1. 5 to 1 was a horrible price. A realistic price for over 20 goals in the Scottish Premiership matches, of which there were only five games, so that's four goals a game. It would have been about 12 to 1, would have been fair. So that would have been a boosted great price, but whatever. I'm not going to blame William Hill for offering negative equity bets. What I am going to blame William Hill for, and this is absolutely shocking, is that when they boosted it with the boost wheel and it came up 75%, they could have boosted 5 to 1 by 75%, up to 8 or 9 to 1, and still had a negative equity bet to offer their customers. But no, they lied and slashed the was price. So they went from 5 to 1, and then they boosted 75% on top of it, but they said it was 3 to 1, now 11 to 2. So the 5 to 1 barely, barely got increased up to 11 to 2. Barely. You know, from 6.0 to 6.5, the odds went. But they said it was 3 to 1, and that's why it's now 11 to 2 when they boosted it by 75%. It wasn't 3 to 1. It was 5 to 1. It was 5 to 1. I don't think it was maybe. I know it was 5 to 1. I have photographs of it being 5 to 1 all the way through the day. Supermarkets are bound by legislation. They cannot simply say that a can of Coke was £4.99 and is now 50p. They're not allowed to say that. They are bound by legislation that says they can't even temporarily increase the price of a can of Coke for five minutes up to £4.99 and then say it was £4.99 because it's cheating. It's cheating the customer. It's cheating the consumer. It's making the consumer stand there going, oh, wow, it was this price and now this price. I must be getting a fantastic deal here. Look, no bookmaker, no supermarket says something was a price and is now so good that you're making money out of the deal. Anything that a supermarket sells you, unless it's like you know, they're trying to get rid of stock or inventory, they're still making money on it, even if it was this price, you know? But they're bound by legislation that they must have held that price by a certain amount of time so that they don't completely scam and rip off the, the, the punter. I do have a problem about a punter being sat in a betting shop and looking at this boosted price of 11 to 2. And if he just saw 11 to 2, he can make up his own mind and think, hmm, I might take that bet, I might not. I would hope he didn't, because 11 to 1, I think, still would have been negative equity for him. But that's not the 
point of what is going wrong here. Of course, bookmakers are going to offer bets that are negative equity. The problem is he may look at that and go, my God, it was three to one. It's now 11 to two. William Hill are literally allowing me to print money. I have to take that bet. No, you're being scammed. You're being scammed because it was never three to one. It's immoral. It's dishonest. It's wrong. Supermarkets are bound by legislation. I want bookmakers to stop doing this. And I did talk to a couple of people about should I start a campaign because there are people that need to be protected i don't like the idea that people are being persuaded to place bets based on lies based on a made up was price you see the reason i put those five worst bets together is that there are some real problems with bookmakers tracking was price we see was prices that are exactly the same as the boosted price we see was prices that were actually greater than what the headline price is just now but i have proof that they're making these up and and it's not fair, and it's immoral, and it should stop. And am I going to campaign and actually do something about it? I tweeted um, Jimmy Justice and boycott Betfred, and am I going to do anything more than that? Probably not, because it, it, it would be a lot of kerfuffle time and energy when it could be better focused elsewhere for me. But... Um, does it annoy the hell out of me? You're damn straight it does. So RIP to a couple of um, uh, a couple of people. The first is my friend um, Andrew's father passed away. Andrew's one of my good friends for a number of years, and um, he did his eulogy at his funeral yesterday. An interesting thing came around when his father was in his last few days. His father said to him, "You know, I know you make money out of sort of advantage play and bookie bashing." Now, if you want to make money, if I can help in any way whatsoever with you making money, then just do whatever you have to do. And it's like, oh, well, you know, it's a very nice thing for Dad to say. I think I would say the same thing to Sasha if it was my last few days. Anything that I could do to make her life easier, then I want her to go away and do that. As a, as a father, if there's anything that she can do whilst I'm still alive, or even maybe after I pass away then I want her to do it. It does make this rather interesting quandary, though, this hypothetical situation that was actually far from hypothetical at the time. That um, Let's say he signs up his dad uh, to a casino and then wins £5,000. And then his father passes away and he gets KYC'd. What happens then? I mean, you've obviously got access to the email, but very, 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 very complicated waters to reply as a deceased person, especially if a sort of death certificate has to be supplied in the future. And then there's obviously the problem of, well, are the casino even going to believe that somebody at that stage of their life is going to sign up and start spinning slots? Some people actually said, why is this even an issue? Because if my friend should be spending time with his father. But I think people deal with trauma and death in different ways. I know another friend I have said that bookie bashing helped him out in the days, weeks and months after his father died because every single day it gave him something to look forward to. It wasn't even the aspect of making money. It was getting one over on the bookmakers, looking forward to something every day. So what would you do? I don't know. What would I do if I was in that situation? It is a weird one. I, I, again, if it was Sasha, I would want her to use me being alive to her greatest 
financial benefit. I think anyone would want that for their kids. Um, but it definitely gets interesting if in the last couple of days of life the person signs up to all of the casinos, wins big, gets KYC, then passes away. And then it's like, what happens next? I don't know. Never been in that situation. Never, fortunately, never been in the situation where I've, uh, where I've had to consider that. Another person that passed away um, in the poker world was Gavin Smith, who was only a few years older than me. Actually, he was age 50. I thought he was younger than 50. I think it's because he acted so immaturely throughout his entire life. Um, Gavin Smith broke out in 2005 when he won the main event at the Mirage Poker Showdown and the WPT Player of the Year. Always one of the most chatty people um, on the table uh, and seems to have had a lot of um, plaudits by people. I have not played in the same table as Gavin Smith, but played with my the back of my chair, like facing the back of his chair. So he was directly behind me. And the result of that meant that this incessant chatter that everybody talks about from Gavin Smith, it was drowning out the headphones that I was wearing at the time to try and concentrate. Um, uh, and the only feedback I have is that for every man who said that he was a funny, charming, happy-go-lucky individual, there were about 20 women who couldn't stand the way that he he was really sexist and talked down to them and kind of came on to every single woman that went past his uh, path, um, despite the fact that he was not the healthiest of guys in the entire world. So, um... Um, R.I.P. to those two people, anyway, in the Bashcast world. Um, moving on, Ladbrook staff have been told to sign gamblers to online accounts to avoid redundancy. Bookmakers Ladbrook's Coral are telling shop staff to sign up as many gamblers as possible to online accounts if they want to avoid being among 5,000 employees it plans to make redundant, The Guardian has learned. According to letters circulated amongst employees and seen by The Guardian, the bookmaker will close up to 1,000 of its 3,500 shops over the next 18 to 24 months, blaming imminent curbs on £100 per spin fixed odds betting terminals. Redundancies will be decided via a ranking system with staff grouped by area and competing against each other on a range of criteria to escape the axe. So let's just break this down. Letters circulate amongst employees. The bookmakers will close up to 1,000 of its shops, blaming curbs on fixed odds betting terminals. Now, so the high street presence of the big five, you've got Betfred, William Hill, Ladbrokes and Coral, which are technically the same thing, and you've got independent shops, which are all branded together and share the same coupons and odds and specials and things like that. Of those five, when was the last time I walked into a Ladbrokes or a Coral? Very, very rarely. Um, there was a coupon. There was a coupon mistake the other week where they had two teams in the Premiership to score seven or go more goals combined on one of those hashtag your odds coupons. And that was at Ladbrokes. And so I went down to my local bag, but it was like 
three to one on or two to one on the coupon fair odds would have been like 2.2 i mean really really decent ev short and good and everything that you want in a bet but it was maximum 50 pounds on the coupon and i went down to my local ladbrooks and by the time i was down there um it had been cut from two to one slashed all the way down to like six to five or something like that and the manager even says and he looked at me with kind of a a sort of i don't know if i was being paranoid but it was like a nod and a wink saying yeah you really like you immediately found the value out of that coupon didn't you and like that's the game isn't that the game you're saying that like i've thrown a brick through your window there's rarely any value on at Ladbrokes. When there has been, like we had that boost during the golf, um, Tommy Fleetwood to win. Um, you then go in and try and get paid and they have no recollection of the boost and they try and pay you out at the starting price or something like that. It's just unbelievable. They're so poor. Ladbrokes and Coral. You know, Betfred are consistently the best bookmaker around. William Hill have now started to catch up after those years, after the project that they had to shut down um, all the... They had this project, I forget the name of it, like Project Goliath or something like that, um, where they were aware that people were taking them to the cleaners in these money-back if your horse came second type offers. To be fair, I cannot believe how long that went on for, to tell you the truth. <laughs> like, it went on for years, and they were just getting killed by it. So they had a project, like Project Goliath, where they just shut down shop on all of these, like, nil-nil refunds and money back of second. But they went way too far. They were way too far. Lost a lot of business before because of that. And I think we, we're now seeing them realise that you can't just fleece the customer and offer them nothing and, and expect um, your shop profits to continue at the same level as they are. So there's been a resurgence from William Hill in recent months, maybe a year, something like that, and that's seen them rise up to the ranks. There's been nothing like like that from Ladbrokes and Coral and what's happening here they're saying that the imminent curbs are because of these um front um sorry their closures will be because of the curbs on 100 pound per spin fixed odds betting terminals I think it's because they take their customers for mugs and nobody wants to walk in there because they know that they're going to be able to find better value Betfred William Hill places like that right Brings us on to the last topic. This is a blast for the past, by the way. I'm just going to turn the volume up here. On the very last match of the day, Wright's going to ruin my travel. Double four. Hits it, ruins my travel. Screw you. That's the darts travel over the evening. So, here's a blast from the past. Here's a story from 2007. So you may be aware of this story, but if you're not, it's quite a good one. Just don't do what these people did. There is a forum on Martin Lewis's money-saving expert called the Matched Betting Forum. And on the 25th of February 2007 at 10.40am... Poster Cheeky says, um, I've got a general question as I can't see anything about the overround on here. I know the overround is the bookie's margin and anything over 100% is his profit. 
Betfair show both the back and lay over round. Now, normally the lay over round is 98%, but looking at the Chelsea-Arsenal first goal scorer match, it is around 140%. So this would say if I lay all of the options, I should make a 40% return. So what's the catch? I know NAFL, so please feel free to call me a fool. So the very simple answer here is that the reason there's the higher over round is because there are plenty of people in that market that aren't going to start the game. Okay, so you might have 20 goal scorers in that market. Only 11 are going to start the game. So if you add up all of the probabilities, it's obviously going to come to more than 100% because a lot of them are going to be voided and are not going to apply, right? That's the answer there. It's the same on... um, the anytime goal scorer market. And then you have different things. You may have a horse race where not all of the horses have been declared, or you may have a golfing tournament where there's a very strong possibility that several people are going to withdraw. And you'll have the same thing. If you add up all of the percentages, it will come to more than 100% because there are people that are expected not to participate that are included in the market because you're not quite sure. They, they haven't officially been confirmed. So that I'm giving you the actual answer to his question. It's a shame that nobody on the money-saving forum gave him the actual answer to his question. The first answer is from poster Reason, who said, Good spot, dude. I've just done it. I used Fairbot to dutch the whole market in a few seconds for 60 profit, and he's 60 pounds profit, and he's got a little green face with a big smile on it. So Cheeky says, fair bot, how does that work? I won a £60 profit. I haven't got round to dutching yet. A poster comes on and asks more about fair bot and where you, where, where, you, um, where you download it. But it's this second poster reason who seems to have caused the biggest misunderstanding and kerfuffle on this thread. He says, since your bankroll is not exposed at all, can you keep doing this while the lay bucket is over round? Now, that's the same as, were you to lay every, were you to lay a golfer in a, you know, there's maybe 100 people that are going to participate in a tournament and there's 140 listed on the Betfair market. You could, you know, lay someone for two quid and you could probably cash out and you could repeatedly keep on cashing out in that market and what would happen is you your green up numbers would go up and up and up and up but essentially all that's really happening is you're taking really poor odds you're like taking lays that you never should take prices that are way too high backers are get, whoever on the other side of that is getting fantastic prices from you and you're greening up and you're greening up and you're greening up but the minute they remove those selections from the market that are not going to play all of the money that you laid on them let's say you laid a hundred dollars on me and i didn't play you don't get that hundred dollars anymore i'm voided and so that green up that you saw with 123 pounds well the hundred you're getting from me it ain't coming. So now you're getting £23. Now what happens if you had 100 and Jen and she's not playing either? Now you're in the red and you're in trouble. Reason now says, Fairbot is a trading program. It's free for 14 days and it has loads of features for dutching. I've just done it again and I'm up to £90 profit here. And now I'm up to £1,500 profit. So he's gone from 60 to 90 and 1,500 pounds profit. This is, um, 
this is the kind of thing that it's like, if it's free money and it's this easy, alarm bells have to ring. Because no money is this free. No one just sits down and gets £1,500 for doing nothing. It wasn't £1,500 for long. He now says, I've got £3,000 profit now. No exposure. It's profit regardless. I just keep dutching over and over for £40 to £50 every time. I think we've broken it, says Cheeky. The layover round has disappeared. It's 97% now. And Reason says, well, it's floating around 99%. I've made 4 thousand pounds edit it keeps going to 101 percent, so i make a few quid every single time someone comes in and says what a powerful program that is and reason again says um that he's made a lot of money and just like nobody has cottoned on here when when was the first post incidentally what's the time scale here the first post was 10 40 and this is now 12 p.m Nobody has uh, mentioned that this is ridiculous, that no one just makes £3,000 profit dutching a market over and over and over again. Let's go to page two. It's only five pages long, this thread. I might actually link it and put it in the Bashcast thread. If I don't, remind me and I will do. So Reason tells the other person, the cheeky who was the original poster in this thread, to keep on going. It's still floating at 100 104%, and I'm making £12-ish every five seconds. <laughs> now, PFPF, who was an established poster, said, very interesting thread. With no disrespect to anyone, I think I'm going to wait until someone I actually know and trust personally posts on here and confirms the whole subject. That's a very wise thing to do. The minute that anyone comes up with a foolproof plan that you cannot see the holes in, wait until someone that you know and trust personally looks at it if you can't figure it out yourself. Anyway, Reason is making £12 every five seconds. That's quite an income. Um, I've just used the dutching tool in Fairbot because the laybook is an overround in capital letters, completely missing the fact that this market is an overround because there are selections in this market that are going to be voided by the time the match plays. I think this is an Arsenal match, by the way. I, I haven't seen that mentioned anywhere, but I just happen to know it's an Arsenal match. Um, is this a wind-up, guys? If It cannot be this easy to make money. That's quite a fair comment. <laughs> if it was a wind-up, why is my entire market green? The reason your entire market green is green is because we haven't had declarations. Cheeky says, I've made the mistake of whacking £500 in the state box and now my green uh, is all green £110. £110 for every single player. Good for you, Cheeky. There is something you've missed, but we keep on going. Now, Dale, who only ever had four posts ever, on Money Saving Expert, says, Just a word of warning here. The rules on the goal scorer market state that bets will be voided on any player who does not take part in the match or who comes on as a substitute after the first goal has been scored. So there you go. Dale has now come in at 1.14pm, two and a half hours after the OP, and has said the exact clause as to why these people are not going to make all of the money that they are thinking that they're making. But his post is ignored. Uh, the next post um, uh, is nothing to do with him. Someone just say, 
like Thierry Henry, who is not playing but is still listed in the market. So Thierry Henry is obviously, they're, they're laying him and greening up on him. But they're laying him, and that means that the green up on the other players is going up and up. But Thierry Henry isn't going to be playing in this match, and he is going to be a big sticking problem. Reason comes back. Uh, there's no money exposed in this market. So I'm not going to lose a single penny. Doesn't really matter if a player doesn't play. Here we go. Here's the... What were we talking about last week? The Dunning-Kruger? The confidence of somebody who knows everything because he's just learning to green up in a market where you're a player can be voided but there we go he says it doesn't really matter if a player doesn't play because you only need another to score and i get 3.5k profit on no goal scorer two i'm fully greened up no exposure locked in profit whatever happens there you go dunning kruger right in front of us he then says in the next post how can your liability be higher than your bet fair balance you cannot bet with what you haven't got it's not a credit account well Actually, in 2007, you could bet with more than you haven't got and your um, your balance could go into the negative and you would be liable for that money. I'm not entirely sure that that can happen now. I think there are safeguards in 2019 that stop that from happening. Okay, we continue. Somebody comes in, Nicky Boy, and says, do not touch this. Place markets cannot be treated in the same way the overround on this does not indicate the same thing. You could get wiped out easily, although someone may have made a significant profit on the first goal scorer market. Oh, he's talking about horse place markets that someone had said. You could do this on horse place markets as well, which are over 200%. The reason they're over 200% is because you've got two horses there. I mean, if there are three paid places, then you've got to be looking at overrounds of 300% or more. That's why. It's a completely different aspect. But anyway... We're now at half past three, one in the afternoon. I'm not quite sure what time of the day the Arsenal match is. Chachi says, I'm in love with this software now. So more and more people are piling into this. It's getting more and more popular. I've managed to make a profit on the first goal scorer and the anytime goal scorer. So we've got the anytime goal scorer market in here as well. Again, this reason guy comes in. My bankroll is £300. Props to Cheeky for the find. I've had experience trading on Betfair. Okay, so he, he's an expert. Fairbot doesn't allow you to dutch the entire market if the book is under 100% because it means you'd make a loss. It automatically takes the book percent, your available stake, and it calculates on how much you stake on each selection so that you can lock in capital letters in a profit. It's not that complicated. You add up all of the odds and then you just stake as a percentage of the ratio of those odds. Anyone could do it with a simple calculator, pen and pencil. In fact, if you do do it with a calculator, pen and pencil, you'll probably figure out where... The massive loophole where the massive fallacy of logic is that you've missed. He says, in my experience, and your experience reason, by the way, counts for very, very little in this story. I can generally get my orders in the market very quickly. I have all uploads and downloads closed on my computer so Fairbot can quickly get them into the Betfair queue. It's also unadvisable not to do this. 
If the odds are shifting a lot, this tends to happen close to the off and the in-play. Not recommended. He had a double negative in there. I think he means it's advisable not to do this. And liquidity, fair bet, does not check how much money is available. You will have to check the stakes against the selectors before submitting orders. The market is pretty much dead now. Thanks for all that. Those points of uh, experience there. Reason. Uh, I appreciate that. I did have a go at this, says somebody else. In bet for all my options are green, but some goal scorers were unmatched. Does that mean that uh, even I don't? Uh, does that mean that even I don't match these goal scorers? I should be okay in terms of locking a profit. Don't understand. Could someone confirm? It doesn't seem to me the good best idea in the entire world to be going and dutching a market that you don't understand. But there you go. The next poster, having looked at the amount of bets I've taken on Thierry Henry, now it seems that only, the only chance I have of not losing a substantial amount is if the person who said that Thierry Henry is not playing has made a mistake. Because if Thierry Henry plays and gets voided, then I don't get his lay bets. Congratulations, you're 100% correct. He then says, I advise everyone to stop. They then list the team Arsenal and this isn't just the 11 players starting this is the team they can pick from Almunia Pum Hoyt Senderos Toure Juru Cliche Traore Walcott Diaby Flamini Fabregas Danielson Aladier Adebayo Baptista Haib Rossiki Randall and Connolly shit no Thierry Henry he's not listed as a possible starter he's not even available for selection today. This isn't going to be good. Someone says, someone go and wake Tim up. Tim was like the moderator of this board back in 2007. I would really appreciate his comments from this. Someone else says, um, also there is hardly any money available to back on Betfair now. Does anyone have any idea on how we can reduce this damage? Piano player, can we get our way out of it? I mean, if the backside reduces to about 105%, can't we just unselect Henry for guaranteed back profit? No, I'm afraid you can't. He's Nothing you can do now is going to get the money that you laid on Henry back, and that means that all your green-ups that are now red are going to remain red. And the problem here is that you were just freely, willy-nilly backing laying players for obscenely large prices. I believe that Walcott, who did get... The first goal of that match was laid at 30. Someone had a back price of 30 on Arsenal's key striker in that game. Piano players, I reckon for every £100 Fairbot stakes on a book value of 102%, everyone who has done this has lost £4. And that's for every £100 staked. And that's going to add up to quite a lot of money. He says, can I withdraw my Betfair balance down to zero so that I end up with a negative ba balance upon settlement and then refuse to pay Betfair on the basis that their all-green screen was misleading? Well, that's nice for everybody else's bets that you've matched, that you want to withdraw all your balance and just refuse to play Betfair because you've made a mistake. Now Reason's back, finally. He says... Um, I hope, I hope that this is wrong, 
because you guys have got me pooing myself, rolling on the floor laughing. Seriously, though, you cannot lose what you don't have in Betfair. I have no exposure. I cannot go negative with Betfair. Surely it's not a credit account. Your Betfair liability or exposure cannot be higher than your balance. Yes, it could back in the day. Um, and this is one of these typical kind of like, you know, don't, don't you get frustrated by people that come up and say things like, guys, I'm, I've been ignoring my student loan for like, 10 years and now they found me and they want to repay tell me what are the best options i have for making them go away and it's like pay back your loan you borrowed the money pay back your loan that's what that's what your best options are stop hiding from them it's a personal responsibility if i dropped a hundred pounds on the street and you happened to pick it up and you looked at me in the eyes would you just say to me uh you dropped that money and it's mine now because you dropped it sorry would you? I'd hope not. But anyone that would, what an asshole. It's, this is exactly the same kind of thing. You've, you've made a mistake, and now it's like, how do we run away without paying for our mistake? So lots of people are running around like headless chickens. Someone from our points, which was an old match betting forum, posted a, my God, someone could lose a fortune over this as bets are voided if a player doesn't play or comes on after the first goal is scored. The same thing happened on a cricket market last year and it bankrupted someone who had laid all the selections. Betfair wrote the debt off in the end. There are some Muppets on that forum. So it's amazing, by the way, whilst looking for this thread in 2019, there are still some Muppets on that for this forum. Someone's made £6,000 today in risk-free match betting, apparently. And this is why I never look at this site, to tell you the truth. Cape Horn says, Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but I re read a post on the Betfair forums a while back about someone who had laid every horse in a race because of an overround. But as the backers knew, three had pulled out. I can't remember the ins and outs, but suffice to say it didn't end well. This is practically the same market with many runners. The people in the know price it up to 40% because they know 4 or 5 won't start and it will be voided. Hope for your sake that there are plenty of substitutions. If your bets are matched, they will be paid out. Imagine the uproar if one of your match bets was voided because the backer didn't have enough money in his account. I'm sorry if this sounds like scaremongering, but if I were you, I would withdraw everything you can from your account and claim ignorance because you had a green screen all the best. And the very last comment comes from Tim L, who says, Stop now. This is not like a normal market where all outcomes are possible. You will lose money when bets are voided because players don't start. In fact, this is a classic Betfair forum wind-up ramp tactic. And yes, you can overrun your Betfair balance by doing this thread locked. By that, he means I think people used to actually literally seed the idea of greening up on these markets where there were going to be voided selections so that they could, you know, for, they could put speculative backs of 30 up for Walcott that people thinking that they were making free money were going to lay naughty ramping tactics. Don't, I, don't, I wonder how many times that happened before it was uh, completely cut out. Anyway, what is coming up? In the sporting world. Well, there's no horse racing, unfortunately, as we know, until the middle of next week. I am going to go skiing on Sunday for a week, so there'll be no bash cast next week. Um, so there'll be a two-week break until the next bash cast. So we have another weekend's worth of Six Nations. Um, Scotland face Ireland. 
Saturday afternoon at 2.15 in Italy, Wales is the evening game, England-France. I'll be watching that in France on Sunday. It's the Premiership, full Premiership schedule. Wolves play Newcastle on Monday night, which will be the game of the weekend. And immediately following that, it's back. It's kind of annoyingly back next week because I'm going to be away skiing. Champions League. Manchester United versus PSG to kick us off. How is that for a game? You can't. The, the exchanges cannot separate those two teams. Spurs play Dortmund the following day, and then the week after, I'll be back for Liverpool Bayern. So a favour to Ash next week. Usually, I sit and I import all of the boosts, and there's a lot of them for the Champions League. We'll do a brother a favour next week, will you? The community's thriving just now. We've moved to Discord, and we should have done this so long ago because Discord now is the best medium and the best group of advantage players for gambling that there is. We're just going to go from strength to strength. All the different channels, people sharing the information. So do a brother a favor next week and put a shift in and uh, have a look for any boosts that are around because I'm just going to have a little week out off to spend with my family. In a chalet in Port de Soleil in the Alps. Whatever it is that you're betting on, do make sure it's valued. This is Tom signing out. This is big. That's the coolest fucking story I've ever heard in my entire life. That's insane. Can I hear it again? Do you have time?